Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Dumbo and I am joined once again by my friends Lisa Kushbakti and Josh Brown. Guys, long time no see. Hey. Been a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, normally I don't repeat guests like this quickly because Lisa and Josh, of course, joined me to talk about us last week. But uh, <laughs> I, I normally don't want to like bother people that frequently. But I also don't want it to look like, man, like he just doesn't have anyone willing to do this with him anymore. So that's why these people are coming back to him. But I was kind of excited to do it this way because it was kind of fun and organic that like they all of a sudden just volunteered at the end of the Us podcast to talk <laughs> about Dumbo, which is could not be any more different of a movie from us. So uh, just a, a very funny, random thing to have them back to talk about. Dumbo and uh, guys uh, Dumbo is the newest uh, live action remake from Disney they're doing a bunch of these this year Uh, obviously a remake of the 1941 classic film this is one is directed by Tim Burton who is known for quite a few things and back in the day did a lot of things in the 90s that were much more well received than the things he has done most recently which are uh, include a Disney live action remake, Alice in Wonderland, which made a bazillion dollars, but maybe no one really liked all that much. Well, you could say the same thing about a few other movies he's done of that genre recently. So this guy has been kind of all over the place, but uh, he was tapped to do Dumbo. It stars uh, Colin Farrell, who plays a guy named Holt, who comes back from the war. And is this is 1919, so it's World War One, And he is uh, he had been working in a circus as like a guy that rode the horses around and was a really big star. But he lost an arm in the war, so the ringmaster of the circus, Max Medici, played by Danny DeVito, says, you're going to tend to the elephants now. And he has a couple kids that are there to help him as he uh, has to deal with the elephants. Uh, Medici has bought a massive elephant named Jumbo, who has a baby named Dumbo, who has really big ears and is probably just about the most adorable CGI elephant you could ever imagine to see in a movie, yet... All the people in this movie think it's the most horrible thing in the world, and the kids have to try and uh, work with him and find out, wait, these big ears can help him fly. And, you know, guys, I think the interesting thing is, like, that's basically about the point where he finds out he can fly is the basically the end of the 1941 movie. And it's, like, not even, like, a third of the way through this movie. So I guess I'll start with uh, you, Lissa. Did you have any relationship with the 1941 movie? Did you know it all that well? And what, what, what were your thoughts going into this? And then to think, and when, then when you realize, wait, they're going to do something kind of different with this. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of Dumbo. I've loved it ever since I was younger because I kind of relate to it. My mom and I had a really close relationship. And I kind of wished I rewatch the original Dumbo before I watched this because watching Dumbo when I was younger, I don't remember it quite as much. But now that you pointed out that he does learn to fly way later on, it's not like a huge thing until the end of the movie. Now that correlation is kind of interesting because I feel like the whole point of the movie was kind of annoying. I don't know if that makes sense with how how focused they were on him flying. And I guess that, you know, it adds to the, one of the, the themes of the movie. But for me, I still like the original better. So I'll have to ask what you guys think. <laughs> All right, Josh, uh, I mean, I think you're probably a little more, a little more, more well-versed in Tim Burton than I am. Uh, what, 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 did you th- what did you hope to get out of Tim Burton's Dumbo? All right. So last week when we were on the pod and you're like, hey, can you guys come for Dumbo? And like, hey, I, I did not. Ma- I didn't force you guys to do that. You volunteered for it. Let's be straight. I, it, yeah, I, no, I, but- I, know, I, I know you didn't like this movie because I already saw your letterbox review. So I don't want you blaming me for wasting your time or anything <laughs> like that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, last week, like I before you had brought up the topic of coming back for yes. Dumbo, 
I like had no anticip I, I had no excitement for it whatsoever. <laughs> and then I'll then like after doing the Us podcast and feeling good about it, I'm like, yes, I was so hyped for Dumbo <laughs> all of a sudden. And look, and this is actually my first Tim Burton movie I've seen in theater since Sweeney Todd, or has seen of his output since Sweeney Todd. So like for I have a weird relationship with Tim Burton compared to everybody else, whereas I grew up with his stuff, um, and his stuff was in his prime, the stuff that I grew up with. So from 1986 to 2007, in my book, Tim Burton did not make a bad movie, in part because I didn't watch Planet of the Apes. <laughs> so when people are all like, Tim Burton is shit now, he's horrible, I just haven't seen Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Frank and Weenie, and I've seen the short Frank and Weenie, but I haven't seen you know, all his recent output stuff. So as far as I'm concerned, Tim Burton was great. <laughs> um, and so when I was watching Dumbo, which actually I don't really have that much of a relationship to the original source material either, because like, it's one of like the Disney classic animated cartoons outside of Snow White and Fantasia. Most of them I have never seen or have no memory of seeing, but Dumbo is like, I've seen parts of it. I know I must have watched it, but I don't feel confident in saying that. So for all purpose, for all intents and purposes, I don't know anything other than, you know, there's some racist, uh, um, pro, like, you know, crow birds or whatever. And I know that this dude has big ears. That's it. That's all I know. Okay. So what was, so what was your big takeaway from the new one though? Uh, it's, it's boring. It's very boring. (laughs) Um, Uh, like there's a reason I know this about the original Dumbo it lasts only 65 minutes and there's a reason for that like (laughs) there's only much so much you can do with this premise and then also the Tim Burton I know versus the Tim Burton that I'm watching on display here is a vast difference because like Tim Burton has been mostly doing family films for the from the start of his career, most of his movies are geared to like family audiences. But what was always interesting about Tim Burton's work was like how dark and twisted and edgy his movies were. Did you really want? Apple. Did you really want a dark and twisted Dumbo though? Doesn't that probably rob some yeah. of like, what makes no, Dumbo special? No, but like I feel like any edge, subversive edge that Tim Burton once had to his work is not present here because like. The thing with Tim Burton is, like, you know, his films mostly focus on outsiders and weirdos and stuff like that. And then, like, the protagonist outside of the human protagonist of this film is the daughter, and they don't have any personality whatsoever. Like, this felt like Tim Burton was making, like, the saccharine family entertainment that he watched as a kid alongside Dumbo, as opposed to the weirder, quirkier like take on stuff that I'm used to him seeing like seeing from him and so it is completely a bore until maybe when Michael uh, Keaton shows up and he can't save the movie okay well that's what that's where I wanted to go next and uh, for anyone curious Josh is coming to us from inside a bar because he's a very dedicated uh, contributor and uh, had some events going on at his house tonight and thought a bar would be a, a better setting for him to record from so any background noise that's what it is but he's still coming in loud and clear for now so we're good uh, I want to. I'm my, sorry, guys. I'm just worse 
podcast guests ever because of shit like this. Yeah, so Michael Keaton does show up in this movie, though, and he is, uh, he is playing a character named, uh, is it Vandeveer? Sorry, uh, yeah, V.A. Vandeveer, who is uh, this big entrepreneur who uh, finds out Dumbo can fly and then makes the offer to Medici, hey, come into my business with me. I'm starting this big new uh, amusement park, Fantasyland type of place, and you'll make a lot of money, and I got jobs for all your people. And uh, let's just say it's not, it's, it's an offer that's, it's not all cracked up to be. And, you know, I. How, how messed up is it that, like, Disney releases this movie about, like, a, a big corporation eating up a small independent corporation <laughs> a week after the 20th Century of Fox merger well, that right. laid off? the people so i that that's where i was going next though you're saying that you know i i think this is missing this whole like kind of scathing edge from tim burton and did you did, was that not something that you uh and li- listen jump in here too if you want but i mean <laughs> i mean i i get that disney's not willingly going to put out a movie that is just some scathing critique about how that's this corporation that's going to rob all uh lesser entities of any creative streak they have they have but I mean, it is kind of funny that like I think a lot of people have maybe criticized the new wave of Star Wars movies for maybe like not being innovative enough. You have this stuff where they're like doing things like you know like kick, kicking out Lord Miller from Solo, and uh, you can point to any number of other things where they're just buying up lesser property, smaller properties, and um, I, you can debate to to for to the end of time just what the creative results of that are. But I mean. I don't think they're purposely commissioning a movie that is like a scathing critique of them, but did, did you guys not read it that way at all? Cause it seems like you think it might be missing something, Josh. Yeah, no, I just thought like the irony of like this, like Walt Disney figure played by Michael Keaton, who's the antagonist of the film, Yeah, you know, is buying up Danny DeVito's like a small circus uh, uh, and making it part of his more elaborate corporate wing. And um, and in the movie, they lay off Danny DeVito's people. And so I just thought, wow, like and, and, and here's the thing. I think there's something like if this movie was abiding, focused solely on abiding critique of this type of capitalism, I think it probably would still be a boring movie. I don't know. Well, but, was it, like, uh, uh, sorry, fin- finish your point. Well, I think that's like the only edge to this film that it has is that critique but it's also like who the fuck are you making this tim burton like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well okay you <laughs> when you made alice in wonderland a movie which could be great for all i know but i don't think so so but, li- li- listen was that something you were thinking about as you were watching this movie like were you like oh well, this is kind of cool he has something interesting to say about like the this kind of collision of art and commerce and what right. you know, big big entertainment uh, conglomerates? Uh, the 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 dangers of that? Are you thinking? Oh, that's yeah. really cool. This movie's weaving in that kind of message, or was that not something that really? That, did you not feel that come through maybe as strongly as some other people that are bigger proponents of this movie? I felt it on the end of like commercialism because, you know, as someone who goes to the Disney parks a lot while I'm watching it, I'm seeing all the like marketing props in there. Like if I'm sure you guys noticed, like while watching, you know, those like stuffed Dumbos that they were selling and they kept kind of making a point to keep shooting at it because those are actually sold in the parks. And so <laughs> from that point of view, now that Josh brought it up too, I'm, I'm, I was also reading a few comparisons, like Michael Keaton was like, is like kind of Walt Disney ish, but like, I hope that Walt Disney never got to that corrupt of a point, but like, I guess to an extent he started to, but like for me, Michael Keaton played such a like, you know, richy rich, like typical screen villain that we always see. So I kind of viewed it as, you know, like a wolf, like he was just there to, um, 
you know, make money. But I guess the whole, the I can't remember in the first demo if they brought in like a banker like that, but they made such a point to like bring in the banker and have Danny DeVito be like the semi good guy that saves them in the end. So I guess like from a like commercial and like marketing standpoint, it was, I guess there's something to say, but it's nothing too drastic, but it is kind of ironic with the whole Fox merger that they're going to try to play the good guys and show that these guys are bad and that they would never do something like that. On their end. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, a, a pointless critique of me to be like in a kid's movie to be like, I want a very, very nuanced villain or something yeah. like that. You know, like that, that, that might just, I, I don't know how much weight like uh, a, like an argument like that should hold when it's, you know, this is still for kids. We want them to be entertained. But at the right. same time, like I almost thought the Michael Keaton guy went a little over the top too fast for me. You know, it's yeah. like. Uh, one second, he's just like actually kind of interesting that he's making these creative choices that we might disagree with just for the sake of the circus. And then the next, he's literally like lighting his entire park on fire for because uh, he wants to murder an elephant and he rather than just like let the elephant stay with like the baby or something like that. Like it was all about like he literally they made it a point to see like this thing needs to die. This thing needs to die. It's like it, it would have been more interesting to me if it was like, you know. He's like, okay, I, I need I need Dumbo to fly well, so I'll keep his mom around. But then he gets like a really really big <laughs> offer to like ha- sell the elephant, and it's like that's like the real that's just so compelling to him because it's just too good of a financial opportunity for him to pass up. And then maybe they're trying to like plan an elephant heist, and I would have been like super into that. But I'm like, man, this guy is just like. I don't understand why this guy just needs to murder this elephant so badly. You know, it was like he's being overly evil, and I'm like, I don't know. The movie just kind of fell apart for me a little bit at the end, and I would say, like, I I did enjoy a lot of it up until then, you know? I mean, it's hard for me to separate how much of it is, like, I really think this is a good movie and just, like, how charming I thought it was and how sweet it was just to look at Sweet Dumbo and his big eyes. And, and like, I, I, it's really hard for me to maybe, like, separate those two things. But, like, I think there was plenty to like in the movie up until that point. You know, yeah. I like thinking about these issues that we're talking about with respect to these big companies and all their dangers. It's just, like, maybe some of it just, like, got a little muddled for me. But I, I thought there was a, a decent amount of really Im- impressive stuff in the movie that I had pretty low expectations for going in. Mm-hmm. See, like, with me during the movie, like, when I got to Michael Keaton... I was like, I just appreciated that there was some weird energy that he was bringing to the film because at that point, the movie just felt lifeless to me. So the fact that he was bringing any type of energy was just, like, refreshing. But then, like, the problem is that his character falls. Like, I like that at the be- when we first meet his character, he's, he's clearly a villain because you've seen this type of movie before. But at the same time, he approaches his villainy with politeness. Like, everything <laughs> he says, he says politely. And then eventually he falls into the snidely whiplash cliched villain. And that was like my issue with the film because then the third act just feels pretty generic and you're just, which is like the first, like the first hour of the film, you know, say what you will, is kind of point for a Disney blockbuster where you're just hanging out with the circus. Like there's no like action scenes or anything like that. You're just chilling with the circus yeah, it was so, it was it was like a less problematic version of like the Greatest Showman, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Greatest Showman at least has like life in it. Like yeah. that's not a great movie by any means, but it's better <laughs> than this one. I feel like uh, for this movie, like like going off of what you guys are talking about, Keaton, like I loved his character, but like all the characters in this movie went like zero to one hundred real quick. Like, and there was like no explanation for it. Like the young daughter, she went from like telling Dumbo that she has the necklace to remind her of her mom to just throwing it in the fire. Like, okay. can you imagine? 
no, I, sorry. No, sorry to cut you off. Like that was like actually a big problem I had. Not just specifically her throwing that thing away for not really all that good of a reason. Like Dumbo, yeah. you, I, I don't need this necklace to like for whatever purposes she had the necklace for and therefore you don't need a feather it's like what but also when they're all running around in all that chaos also this is freaking dumbo like we're not doing a spoiler section for dumbo people what you can you can go watch dumbo or not watch dumbo but it's we're we're, we're beyond the we're past the point of no return now but the kids are like running back into like the ring that's on fire for no reason at all it's like it's not like they're getting chased they're not getting chased by that guy into the ring directly you know the, the henchman that's after them it's not like that was like the one place they could go to get away from him there's like running into that thing it's not like dumbo's in there at that point and they're going to save dumbo they just run into that thing to get us to that point to create that conflict it's really really dumb yeah you know like like the whole like that was the thing like i remember in the third act i'm just like this circus troop is putting everything on the line for like this elephant that <laughs> they like only been around for what maybe a week or two i, I like at <laughs> Like not very long. Well, they already they had already lost their jobs anyway, so they're like, why not help out the elephant? You know, it wasn't like they they they'd already been given the pink slips by Michael Keaton. Yeah, and just like, eh. but also like Colin Farrell's like very protective protective of this elephant. That's another thing. Like Colin Farrell maybe might be miscast. I don't know. Where like he's given it his all, but like he's what? having to do this. Like okay, I, have, I have a question. Speaking of that, I've, I've, I, I, I have a que- I have a question for you guys. Would it have been the Colin Farrell part or the Michael Keaton part that Johnny Depp would have been playing if Johnny Depp wasn't like super problematic right now? No, like my take is like I don't think Johnny Depp being problematic stops Tim Burton from <laughs> casting him. I know, but it's gone up like another level since like the last time Tim Burton had he, him in a movie. He would have been Keaton's position. I think he, he could have definitely been a great addition to the cast if he, like, <laughs> i think okay oh no, and he would have been in so much makeup it would have been like, <laughs> like i'm a i'm a re, um, i'm the ringleader of a circus okay make me look like the mad hatter like yeah but also josh i agree like this this, this film like it doesn't feel like a tim burton film in some sense but there's also it's also that there's a lot of aspects of it that don't kind of scream like tim burton like for me that one scene of the in the circus when the bubbles were going off like and they shaped they shaped as the elephants like that felt very tim burton and like the nightmare yeah. island felt very tim burton but it wasn't as like as tim burton-y i guess as i wanted it to be you know and then i realized something like what might be because again last i checked in with burton it was sweeney todd heads yeah. were being uh, cut off everything was great right. um like last i checked with tim burton was dead and then i realized that like from what i've heard of the criticism of tim burton and what I can see from the outside is that when he enters the digital realm, this is where things really go off the handle for him. And like this film is probably the most practical film he's made outside of uh, Big Eyes in a while. Like, like compared just to Alice in Wonderland, where that was like all green screen, and this film, like they built like these giant sets for the circus and Dreamland and all that. And but they're augmented by this very digital, like you can see that there are digital enhancements to it. There's this very digital look to it, and I think yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to put anything that shiny in 1919 and not have it feel digitally enhanced. Yeah, yeah. But what was like special, I think, with about Tim Burton's work, especially his earlier stuff, is that how tangible his worlds were. Like they were very practical, and they're using like you know old special effects. To like, you know, like in Beetlejuice, you feel like you're in that world with Edward Scissorhands. You feel like you're there. And Batman Returns, you know, he's building 
Gotham, and it's like these giant sets slash models. That is something that you feel like that world. In this world, there's something off about it, and you can't quite put your finger on it. And it's just because like there are digital enhancements to it that are just very noticeable. And so like with Tim Burton, I think there is a charm with like his older, earlier stuff, and especially like you know the most famous Tim Burton movie, the one that he didn't even direct, Nightmare Before Elm, uh, Nightmare on um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, there's a tangibility to that stop motion, right? Yeah. There's a charm to it, and that's just missing here. Um, and also, the little girl, like, I hated the little girl. She has no personality, which is so odd. I'm saying that about a Tim Burton protagonist, because, like, I'm thinking back to, like, Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. She's the child protagonist in that movie, and there is stuff you can say about that character. She's quirky. She's sarcastic. Like, there's things this character is only motivated by the plot that's it well she wants she wants to be a scientist and that's her personality <laughs> uh, that's so aggressive like uh, like i they didn't know how to like interweave a few things and there were also a few like sexist comments too like you know the part where also let's talk about how the woman went from like being evil to just like switching sides with no given reason like oh yeah i cut you off when you were making that point earlier sorry about that but 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 like that that was that was like the very that was the other really like obvious one you know and then like and then him and i mean her and colin's character like kind of fell in love there was like a weird relationship there but um just like pushing the scientist thing like i'm all for obviously of course like representation (laughs) but like when it gets to a point where it's not like cohesive and it's like aggressive it just like it's so distracting and then like like i think like colin made like a sexist comment he was like oh maybe dumbo doesn't recognize you without all that makeup on or something like that and i was like "Ooh," i was (laughs) like that was not okay but um yeah i also agree it was a good point that i just feel like tim burton and cgi there there's like hope for it but like i feel like because he's so controlled being under disney like I feel like I didn't go. I didn't feel like he didn't do as much as he wanted to do or wasn't able to. Maybe. Like my thing is like when the, when this project was first announced, Tim Burton directing Dumbo because they pretty much offered him all the other live action Disney films um, since Alice in Wonderland was a huge hit. Like they offered him a list yeah. in. They offered him a Pinocchio movie. And when he, they were offering him Dumbo, I was like, Tim, what what, what are you doing, man? Like I'm rooting for you. Why, why are you because there's nothing you can say about this this is just like i don't know like there's no take there's no yeah. like this is like there's, like at least with like charlie and the chocolate factory i think there's a take i think there's a temper in perspective on it which a yeah. movie i like by the way but like I, it's just like it's just so like everybody like going into this was like that's gonna be uninteresting and it kind of like played out that way because I yeah. don't know with the problem with these live action films, I don't think that any of like the like Blind King or Aladdin, they're just like straight up shot for shot remakes at this point, right? Like nobody's offering like a new take or. Well, we see try to do that here. Yeah, I think especially by comparison, but I don't think it's like Tim Burton as an artist has anything interesting to say about Dumbo. I think it's more like. I've done all the weirdest shit that I can think of, and now just give me a property and see what I can do with it, you know? Because, like, 
I don't think this is Tim Burton working like to his potential. I think Tim Burton at this stage in his career, I would like to see him make a Blumhouse movie. I would like to see what Tim Burton does with $10 million and having to make a horror film. That, that's exactly what you should be doing, Tim. Not Dumbo. Um, oh, the, he, Josh just, just like, made a really good point. That's why the bar is cheering. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, like, Dumbo and this thing, and Tim Burton being this close to Disney saws off all the ed- edges off of them. Like, that's how I feel that, like, he's not being his best self under Disney. I don't think he has anything interesting to say with, like, pre-existing material such as this. Interesting. It, it's also hard to know exactly, like, where that where, where it begins and where it ends as far as, like, you know, he didn't write this movie. You know, and I, yeah, I actually watched Ed Wood for the first time recently, too, kind of in anticipation of doing this. Great movie. Yeah, and, I mean, it's also a movie that's pretty cynical about the entertainment industry. And yeah. I, I know he's he's a producer on it, he, and uh, I guess he's a, an executive producer of Dumbo. Dumbo. So I guess he has some. He obviously has some stay over the story, even if he's not, you know, writing the screenplay or doesn't even really have a story credit like he did on like Edward Scissorhands. And so I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like he 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 is like, I, I do feel like he is trying to say something as much as he can be saying something you know when when he's not the screenwriter because he is the executive producer and it seems like there is some kind of message in there about uh the entertainment industry and so i guess that's just where i ultimately differ from this movie on you because like I'm, I'm not saying i loved it or anything like i mean i i, I might have given it a, a, a half star or, or maybe a star more than you if whenever it comes down to me actually getting around to writing a letterbox review on this thing and having to give it a rating because i don't really give things like star letter grades on the podcast but i i don't know i, I just I, I thought there was more of a kernel of an idea there that got somewhat uh that got somewhat opened up and just maybe not quite as uh in the manner in which i would have liked plus i don't know i, I liked a lot of the visuals of this movie i mean uh and you guys were kind of touching on that before but um Lisa, did you have any thoughts on that because i mean josh made the point about it being you know obviously looking uh a little bit fake and i and i i can't disagree with some points of that there but you know i, I thought this movie did succeed in some um, in some moments particularly where the scenes where dumbo actually is flying yeah i i mean like Josh mentioned, uh, a lot of this, I mean, I actually, you, you, Josh mentioned that, um, you know, some, I mean, parts of it were boring too, but I think the scenes that were good really stood out. And that's like something very vague to say, but like, um, the scenes where Dumbo was actually in the circus and having to fly or almost falling or whatever, um, those scenes in particular were really good because the CGI felt, natural as much as it could in that sense and just i mean the bottom line like everyone's mentioning just jumbo obviously was so cute and they really played to um like be able to show his like his emotions Dumbo's a he right yeah yeah someone asked me if it was a her and i was like questioning my whole but <laughs> i was like is it a she but um no so Dumbo was obviously very cute and it takes real talent to be able to show emotion in just the eyes when it comes to like CGI and animals, especially. So that was something I really wanted to note. And then kind of going off of Tim Burton, I really wanted to make a comment about how much I love the music of Dumbo. Like that was something I can without a doubt say like how positive it was because I know Danny Elfman was the composer mm-hmm. and he and Tim Burton also worked on nightmare before Christmas together, which is one of my favorite movies. So I really love the music of this one. And also Arcade, you like fire? arcade Fire song? Yeah, I'm wearing my Arcade Fire shirt. Oh, honor, but, look at that. <laughs> uh, 
So Arcade Fire did a cover of Baby Mine, and that was actually very good. And I didn't know they were going to do a cover, and that was really surprising. So I love that part. Yeah. And by the way, I think I sounded too harsh on the visuals of the film. I would just say, like, I think there's a, a difference between his earlier work and this one, because he's now, like, you know, he's using digital cameras. He's using digital effects to augment some of the practicality of it. But that said, Tim Burton is putting more pizzazz when it comes to, like, transitioning from a CD, seamless transitions that he puts into the film, or, like, you know, the train sequence at the beginning of the film that he starts the movie off with and the sets and stuff, he's putting more effort into it than most directors ever will, like, to be fair to Tim. It's just, you know, I think there's just something missing in his later work that isn't there, that was there in, like, his more beloved stuff. Uh, I, I got you for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, you guys, I mean, like, I think we, like, f- fairly well covered it. I mean, I don't think there's, like, as deep of a die to be had as uh, we did on us. But, like, I I mean, I, I do th- – overall, I think it is, like, a – it was a more interesting uh, experience than I expected it to be. You know, I, I kind of, like, did it just to, like – I went into it being like, you know, I just want to fill a week of the podcast and, and, and at least get the movie. And if nothing else, the movie at least gave me more to think about. So I'm glad I can say I saw it. And I, I mean, I like seeing, I like doing, I at least like putting out episodes on things where like I, in theory, a lot of people are going to go see. I don't know if this movie is actually going to be if like a massive financial success for Disney because it's it made like. It's a disappointment so far because yeah. it had like a 170 budget. Right. It made 45 this weekend and that's going to drop once Shazam and and game all these other films come out i mean who knows what it's ultimately going to be but i i think at least at least gave us you know i I don't know something to think about but uh it sounds like just i just want to go big picture for a second before we give our final thoughts you know i i I don't think i fully realize just how close together like a lot of these disney live action remakes are coming out like bam 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 between you know this and uh aladdin and lion king and and all that stuff. I mean, uh, listen. Yeah. This might be the best one. This might be the best one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen. I know you. I'm too. Yeah, Alyssa, I know you're like a pretty big Disney person, and uh, do you have like any p- opinions on like where the where this kind of experiment is at this point? Are you optimistic for either Aladdin or Lion King, like in the wake of this? Because it seems like you're maybe a little higher than Josh on this movie. <laughs> um yeah as a big disney fan even if these films aren't like the originals or aren't as top quality i'm so excited to see them because in a sense like a whole new i know this is kind of cheesy but like a whole new generation gets to watch them and kind of experience them in their own eyes i am kind of shocked that they're going back to back but in, a, in from a marketing standpoint it's a really good tactic because you know from disney's standpoint all these children are seeing these films and they're like where can we kind of experience this live so I think that really ties in. And then once they get older, they can, like, you know, start watching the Star Wars stuff. And just from a marketing standpoint, I think they're doing a really smart thing and having them back-to-back. And it's almost summer, and they're really good family movies. So yeah. everyone's going to be coming out, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I guess it'll give them, like, a bigger library to start out with when the new streaming Disney service is getting ready to come out soon. It's Josh, it seems like uh, you're, you're not quite as optimistic going forward with the releases coming out later this year. As you said, this might be the best of them. Yeah, like, because at least, as you said, there's, like, something that he has to, like, make original here that was, you know, he he has a different plot than, like, the original one. Whereas, like, Aladdin, Lion King, they look pretty much like a straightforward remake of the um, original one. Like, Lion King looks like a shot-for-shot, like, remake. I'm more which, excited about Lion... I'm more excited about Lion King than Aladdin, though, because, like, I have no faith in, like, Will Smith to attach himself to a movie that is worth, like, two cents, like... 
anymore. <laughs> I mean, like I, I always have some fondness for various things he's done, but like, man, it's it's been rough. At least with Lion King, like I think we're wait, gonna get... wait, 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 Josh. You know it's gonna the tide is gonna turn. Uh, okay, Gemini. okay, okay. I, yeah, we, I know we had to get your obligatory but, 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 like, Gemini man. To be fair, though, like these like um, live action remakes are not too different from what Disney used to do throughout their the legacy, like throughout their legacy, which was, you know, they would release Dumbo, they release Pinocchio and all these Snow White and give them re-releases throughout the various decades. Like you'd every couple years, you'd have the re-release of, you know, Pinocchio or Sleeping Beauty, whatever. And this is not too dissimilar for that is because you're basically like saying, all right. You like, especially in the case of Lion King, there's now a generation of kids that are born without probably having seen the original one. So we can now like make more money if we repurpose it in theaters by just you know putting it into a computer and doing a shot for shot remake of it. You know, like this is their form of re releasing a movie now. Yeah, um, true. I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me because I'm like. You know, most of their classics are pretty strong, and um, I rather I don't I think they're fine. What's not broken, why try to fix it? So I much rather a kid in 2019 go back and watch 1994 Lion King or go back to watching the 40s Dumbo as opposed to watching the remake. Um, in part, that's also like me being like a classicist and like wanting to preserve classical films, but. I don't know, like, I, but I'm yeah. sure this is not the worst of them. I, Maleficent Two <laughs> is probably going to end up being the worst. I don't know. Who knows? The only positive I can see from the remake, like, I agree, I'm definitely a classist too. But when it comes to like Disney movies, a lot of the old ones, unfortunately, are a little bit problematic. So the kind of silver lining in the new ones is that hopefully, you know, the person playing the character or role actually is of the same race. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to in on a positive aspect to play devil's advocate over here. But that's really all I can kind of pinpoint. That's a good point. I also, I'm also looking forward to some, like some good music in the Lion King. I feel like they're going to, yeah. when you, when you get like Beyonce and Donald Glover involved, like, I feel like you're going to probably do some pretty cool stuff. I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's a good way to be selfish too, because if you are babysitting or you have like a younger sibling, you can bring them for a safe movie. But on the selfish end, you get to see like Beyonce and <laughs> Bill Eichner and Donald Glover be in a movie you watched when you were like five. So, which by the way, quick question: What is your favorite Disney live action remake as of now? Um. Hmm. I mean, so so what do you have to choose from then? Do you have, like, what, Beauty and the Beast, the Alice in Wonderland stuff, this? Um, Cinderella, Jungle Book. I, I don't... Christopher Robin. Ooh, uh... I, oh. Christopher Robin's not exactly a remake, is it? Uh, I guess That's it's like, like a spin. That and Maleficent are probably the most, like, divergent, like, where they're telling a different story. Yeah, that might that might be... That might be... I actually thought Christopher Robin was solid, if, if I... Oh, Peach um, Dragon. I didn't see Peach Dragon. Uh-huh. I think mine is the Cinderella one because I really like Lily James and I think she did a pretty good reenactment of the whole story and bringing it to life. I actually really like Lily James and didn't see it. This is this is like a question to ask like at the end of this year when we have like the whole entire thing to choose from. I think, uh, but yeah, at this point like nothing's like blowing me away. But I mean, did, did, I mean, did, do you have an answer yourself or do you you were just throwing that out to us? I was throwing that out to you. I, I have an answer, but it's just basically, it's not like I have love for the movie or anything. It's just by, by default. 
I would say Jungle Book because I hated Cinderella. And yeah, like uh, uh, Jungle Book is really, 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 really by default. Because that's the only one I'm like, it's moderately okay. Uh, but more of a technical marvel than it is as a movie. Which, by the way, Josh, this is like, this was the movie, Dumbo was the movie where I'm like, okay, I know I've gotten all the big budgeted, like, auteur, CGI, like. By uh, request. Flops. Yeah, this is the one where I'm like, I need to stop it. This is the last one. I'm I'm done. It, it, it's the movie that broke me. Wait, I'm so like, it's, 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 I can't go, like, maybe it's because it's following Alita. <laughs> but, like, and I was hyped for Alita. That one's on me. This one, I'm just like, I, I, I can't do it anymore. Haven't have, have they already commissioned a live-action Pinocchio, too? Or am I just making that up in my head? I'm seeing now an Italian one that's being done with uh, Roberto Benigni playing Geppetto, but I don't. I thought it's there was like crazy a one. that he would touch that property after, like his blank check after Life is Beautiful was making his own Pinocchio film, which creeped the fuck out of everybody because <laughs> he was playing Pinocchio and like nobody liked it. Ended his career in America. It ended his career in America and I think overseas too. Like it was just bad nobody liked it. it it you know i think it's listed in like top five worst things harvey weinstein has has done um that's <laughs> jesus how, that's how bad it is. so okay. the fact that he's out being geppetto but yeah there's like del coro's been trying to make a stop motion one paul thomas anderson wrote like a pinocchio script for robert downey jr because this is his passion project to be geppetto don't touch pinocchio is my my advice like there you go i don't understand like i think we're good i, I think we're do you need a pinocchio story no i just i, I couldn't remember i thought i thought i'd seen something that so, someone uh, some other filmmaker of note i might have been hearing i might have been thinking about that paul thomas anderson script and that was all i was thinking of um which by the way now that actually makes me serious what's this paul thomas anderson's pinocchio look like yeah i don't know it could be kind of twisted um all right guys uh Alyssa, any final uh dumbo thoughts before we sign off Mm, watch the original before you watch this one and make sure you watch other Tim Burton films. <laughs> there you go. Josh, what about you? I'm sure you'd echo that yeah. one though. On the Tim Burton, like yeah, Martian attacks that movie slaps Ed Wood slaps Batman. The first Batman, Batman returns is good, but the first Batman is the one of the most rewatchable movies ever made. Um, yeah, I need to go yeah. back. I don't, I haven't watched that stuff since I was like a little kid, actually, to be honest, I need to like go back and do it again. I've probably seen his Batman, like, it's probably one of the most watched movies I've ever seen. But, yeah, like, I, I love early Tim Burton. 1986 to 2007, you were gold, Tim. You were gold. Now, um, your ass isn't so beautiful anymore. Um, but, yeah, all I can say is uh, follow me on Letterboxd, JKB1626. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll, and I'll just say before I, like, let Lisa plug her stuff that, like, I – I don't know. I, I think there is more to be gained from this, more to be taken from this film than you might think if you just like watched the show or read the reviews. But I'm not going to blame anyone that doesn't make it a priority because like we got a lot of stuff coming out. You know, like uh, Shazam is like actually getting like really, really, really good reviews. Uh, 
and then you know you have Hellboy, which looks a lot of fun, and then Avengers and all this stuff in May. So I, I'm not going to blame anyone that does like doesn't make this like a super high priority. But like if if you already maybe had some interest in it, but just had some reservations, I think it gives you plenty to think about. So that, that that's my lukewarm take. And I mean, I hope we uh, gave you guys some interesting things to think about, even if like none of us were like totally totally out or like totally totally in on the film. It, those are probably the hardest ones to talk about. But I think uh, there is just like some at least some interesting components to the movie, if nothing else. Uh, Lisa, uh, where can people find anything that you want them to find? Ooh, okay. You can find me on Twitter at L-I-S-S-K-H-O-S-H-B-A-K-H-T-I and on Letterboxd, Lissa, Lissa. There we go. And as usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. I'm both Twitter and Letterboxd. And also, again, the podcast is now on Spotify. Just search The Rewind. Josh, guys, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Lissa and Josh are hopefully going to be back both around like May and June, if not before then, to talk about uh, a couple other movies I'm pretty excited about. So you'll be able to see them here or see hear them sooner rather than later so everyone stay tuned for that uh next week we'll probably have a podcast coming out on shazam and uh maybe one on the beach bum so stay tuned for that we'll see you next time